guys can grab a seat. Hey, I want to thank the worship team for leading us this morning. Yes. Um, and and I, my sweet, darling, lovely wife reminded me that I forgot one other thing to let you know about. Uh, we mentioned this the, uh, last week, but our service times are changing. They're changing. Everybody know this yet? Anybody know what time the first service will be? Nine o'clock. And we're going to do an 11. We're going to stream the nine. And there'll be a nine and an 11 starting next Sunday. Now, keep in mind that um, with the current situation and the COVID, just you're going to want to stay tuned on Facebook. You're going to want to uh, check your email. You're going to want to make sure you're a part of the emailing list. So if you're not getting our updates every week, make sure you email us, info at hopecov.com, and we'll make sure that you get added to the list that's getting those weekly updates. Uh, and we're going to, again, keep service about this size. Uh, so we'll have those tickets hopefully up on Monday, Monday morning. You'll hopefully be able to click and get your tickets for the service that you want to be a part of. Well, happy Father's Day. And uh, there's a couple of fathers. How many dads do we have in the room? Holy smokes, a bunch of daddies. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of dads. So happy birthday to you in the room. Happy birth. Uh, happy birthday. Happy Father's Day. I'm trying to make sure I don't forget my wife's birthday on, on Friday, right? Yeah. Uh, happy Father's Day to those of you in the room and those of you watching via the live stream. I do want to, just because I'm up here, I get to, you know, I get to say stuff. So uh, there's two fathers in the room that I really want to uh, especially honor today. My dad, sitting right over here, Jim, uh, is here this morning. Happy Father's Day. Thanks for giving, uh, raising me, raising me well. I was going to say giving birth to me, but yeah, that would be giving you a little more credit. So... I also want to uh, acknowledge and recognize Pastor Dwayne Cross right back here. <laughs> Dwayne is not only a dad to his own children, but he is a father here in this church, Hope Covenant. Uh, it's been almost 20 years ago, right, that, that Sherry, you, and, and Dwayne came uh, to Hope Covenant, and uh, they just have given their hearts and life to this place and leading this place, and, and now they run around filling in at churches that have need of a pastor in the interim. You're supposed to be retired, Dwayne. Has anybody told you this yet? Yeah. So, uh, but Dwayne is truly a father, a spiritual father to so many, and I'm really grateful for the legacy that he's left us here at Hope. I'm just trying not to screw it up. So, uh, Dwayne, we love you. Happy Father's Day, and really glad that you are here. Well, this morning, in light of Father's Day, I want to talk about the Father heart of God. And to do so, I want to take us to my favorite story in all of Scripture, which uh, most people call the story of the prodigal son, but it's actually a story about the Father heart of God. And so let's just read that from Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided the property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in wild living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him out to the fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But, this is where the whole story turns the hinge of the story right here. When he came to his senses, he said, 
how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off. He went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around his son and kissed him. Then the son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But, But the father said to his servants, quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And so they began to celebrate. Now, this is such an amazing story that we're just gonna stop right there because it's a story, remember, of a father and two sons. And the older son, spoiler alert, he gets kind of upset. He's very angsty kind of guy. We're not gonna get to that part today because we don't have time, Uh, but you can read it on your own uh, this week. And so this morning, what I want to do is just walk through this story verse by verse, and I want us to look at it through the eyes of the people uh, that Jesus was telling the story to, these first century Jewish folks. Um, How would they have heard this story when Jesus originally told it? I mean, think about this. It's a a different culture. It's a different mindset, whole different worldview. This is 2,000 years ago, stuff that we tend to sort of blow right past because we have a different context. Um, But some of those things can actually deepen our understanding, and in doing so, I believe it will give us a a deeper picture of the heart of God our Father for you and for I. Now again, many of you have maybe heard this story a million times. Some of you have heard it from me multiple times, but will you this morning, whether you've heard the story or not, will you open your heart to maybe what God might say to you through this story again? Because I read this story so frequently, and it always does something to touch my heart. So will you let the potential, the possibility of the word of God and this story do something in your heart today? Uh, Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you are a good God, that you are, as we sang, a good father. And today on Father's Day, even as uh, Pastor Jim prayed, We know that this can be a painful day for many who maybe didn't have a father, or maybe the father they had was harsh or angry. Maybe they had a cold or distant father, and and like the author William Young, who said he spent 50 years having to wipe his own father's face off the face of God. God, will you, for all of us that have distorted pictures of fathers, will you help us to maybe today set some of that aside? so that we can see you clearly. For those of us in the room or listening or watching online, God, we pray that you would come and give us eyes to see who you are as a true father. And Lord, for those of us that had great dads, will you even use this story to help reinforce uh, in our own hearts and lives that you are a good father? Will Will you heal hearts this morning, God, through a picture of the kind of father that you are. Amen? Amen. So, let's set the story up. Here's 
a father, he has two sons. Apparently, the younger son in the story, he's so unhappy with his life that at some point, this dissatisfaction that he has with the life that he is living, he finally comes to his dad and says, hey, I want to have my inheritance and I want to leave home right now. Now, it's really important that we understand what this request means. Today, you know, we might tend to look back and see this as the story of a kid who's just trying to, ah, he's trying to launch out on his own. Uh, my son's about to move out again and, and finish up college. Um, it's launching out on your own. It's part of what we do. It's part of the natural process of growing up. But that's not what this story's about. This is not that kind of story um, where a young man's trying to appropriately assert his own independence, explore the world, find his way. It's not that kind of story. Ken Bailey is a missionary, a scholar. He lived in the Middle East for about 40 years, and he writes incredible books about the parables. And this is what he writes about this particular story. For 15 years, Bailey says, I have been asking people of all walks of life, from from Morocco to India, from Turkey to the Sudan, about the implication of a son's request for his inheritance while his father is still alive. I mean, just pause for a second. In our culture today, I suppose that would be you know, uh, a certain oddness, right? If we come to our parents and say, hey, um, I guess we could say, hey, mom and dad, when you die, what do I get in the will? That might still be tacky. Anybody still be tacky in your house? Older folks, is that tacky? So don't say, okay, don't do that. Um, um, it's a whole different thing to say, well, can I just have it right now? Can I have it right now? Back to Bailey. He says, for 15 years, I've been asking people this question. The answer has almost always been the same. He'll say, has anyone in your village ever made such a request? And they answer him, never. Well, could anyone ever make such a request? They tell him, impossible. He presses it a bit further. He says, well, if anyone ever made that kind of request, how would that be seen? What would, what would happen? And they say, well, his father would, would, would beat him, of course. And he says, why? And they answer him this. They say, The request means that he wants his father to die. So that's what we're seeing in this part of the story. The son comes to his father and says, I don't want to wait till uh, you die. I want what's coming to me when you die right now. In fact, I want to live as if you were dead right now. Now, to choose sin, to choose to do this kind of thing, um, to to choose to live in a distant country as this son is about to do, it's in effect to say to the father, I wish wish to live as if you were dead, as if you had no claim on my life. And so when I read this part of the story, like I can get really indignant about the disrespectfulness of this younger son until I get honest and think about how I've done this sort of thing. (laughs) I do this sort of thing from time to time. Because there are times where I get stubborn, where, where I want to live like I'm fatherless, where I wander off, where I stop trusting my father. And when I do that, what I've done is chosen to live in a distant country. Now, in some ways, maybe the most mind-blowing part of this story is what comes next. Um, verse 12. Verse 12 says um, that the son does this insulting thing to his father, Right? I want to live like you were already dead. I want my inheritance. And the father doesn't do what you would expect a normal father to do. All of Jesus' listeners would think exactly what the people in those villages, yeah, he's going to beat him. He's going to banish him, something like that. But he doesn't do what a normal father would do. The father doesn't beat his son. The father doesn't banish his son. The father actually takes what rightfully belongs to him, to the father, 
All of these things that are going to sustain him as he lives his life in his old age and he freely gives it to his son. And to Jesus' listeners, like, this is crazy. I mean, no normal father would ever do such a thing. I mean, first of all, you'd never hear of a a son making this sort of disrespectful request. But then they would never dream of a father responding this way. The, The father gives it to him and the father allows him to leave. Like, it's part of what's amazing about this story and gives us a picture of the father heart of God. And this would have blown the minds of the people who were listening to Jesus tell this story because right here, a father does what no father had ever done. And here we begin to see a picture of a love of another kind. Here here is God, this father who gives freedom to his children, to you and to me, even when that freedom that he gives us will cause him immense pain. Yet he gives it to us anyway because he deeply, deeply longs to be in a love relationship with free children. That's why God gives us freedom to choose. See, he doesn't make us into robots. I've had this conversation so many times where where someone says, why didn't God just like take away the possibility to choose? Just make us robots so we had to obey him Well, part of that is that love is not love if there is no freedom to choose love. And so um, God gives us freedom, and he's not trying to control you. That would be the opposite of love. Control would be the opposite of love. He gives us that freedom. Like for, for love to be love, it must be chosen for it to actually be love. And it's mind blowing to just think about that piece of this. Like here we have God who is all powerful, but he actually makes himself vulnerable to us because ultimately he wants relationship, not just compliance. And so we do get to choose. And in this story, the younger son makes his choice. He defies the father. He shows how ungrateful he is. He says, I want to live as if you were dead. And he moves to a distant country. And the next step of his journey is inevitable. Look at verse 13. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had, traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in wild living. Verse 14, what happens next is this. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went, hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him out to the fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, but nobody gave him anything. And here he finds himself on this crossroad of pain. And on each one of our lives as well, at one time or another, we find ourselves on that same crossroad, especially if we have chosen to live in a distant country long enough, friends, sooner or later we will hit pain. And this son is now alone, he's desperate, he has no hope, and the question for him is, what's he going to do now? What's he going to do now that he has hit the wall? How's he going to respond to this place of pain? And this is a major crossroad in our spiritual journey as well. What will we do? That's a question we all have to answer. What will we do when we encounter pain? See, this young man hits a wall of pain. And here's something key right here. He no longer has the the means to avoid facing it. 
No more money, no more parties, no more distractions. In order to survive, it says that he's going to have to take care of pigs. Now, this is important in the story, too, because to first century Jewish folks that Jesus is telling the story to, pigs are unclean animals. So to eat them was forbidden to any devout Jewish person. But now he's going to be a pig herder, which is a despised job that if anybody back home found out about, he would be completely ashamed. And you just look at the situation he's gotten himself into here, right? He, 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 he has this crazy scenario where he rejects this father that loves him. And eventually now he has to attach himself and get hired um, by another person. And this person that's supposedly taking care of him uh, isn't even feeding him. The text says here, nobody was feeding him. Now, Middle Eastern cultures are very big on hospitality. It's a huge deal. It's really an obligation to those folks. So if someone asks you for help, you are pretty much on the hook to pony up. And so the polite way in a Middle Eastern culture to get rid of an unwanted person was to assign them to a job that that you knew they wouldn't accept, right? That's probably what went on here with the younger son. The guy that he tries to go work for says, "Uh, okay, um, kid, let's see. Oh, hey, yeah, yes, you, you can be a a, a pig herder, right? Knowing full well that an Israelite is not going to take that job. But this kid is so desperate that he takes it. But then in verse 17, in his pain, Jesus says, he came to his senses. (laughs) He finally acknowledged reality. Pain will do that. I think especially for us guys, right? Pain will bring us to our senses. Sometimes it's the only thing that will bring us to our senses. Happens to me all the time. And I know, listen, pain stinks But pain can bring us to our senses, especially if we're like kids who have wandered off. And I'm just thinking, you know, some of us in this room, maybe there are areas of pain in your life through which God wants to do some some work in you. Maybe um, you're resentful and bitter towards the people around you. You You wonder why you hurt so bad. Or maybe you're in pain because of arrows that have been thrown at you, uh, wounds that you have taken from someone else, betrayals, things that have not yet healed, things that you haven't been able to face. It's that pain. Maybe you're in pain um, because there's guilt in your life or sin or something you've just struggled with or haven't actually dealt with or that you have been trying to hide and ignore Or maybe you're in a painful season of your marriage. Maybe it hurts really bad and you just want to call it off and get it over with and be done and move on. And by the way, that's all stuff um, that have been real in my life. That's a list from my life over the last decade uh, of of pain in my own life. That's where those examples are drawn from. Uh, Sometimes it's because of things that I did and sometimes pain because of things done to me. I've been betrayed at the deepest levels possible. I've gone through painful church seasons. I've been, I've been lied about and lied to by people that I trusted. I've had friends that have walked away. Um, I've failed too, over and over and over in many ways. I've failed as a father. I've failed as a son. Uh, I've gone through a divorce. And that's just, again, in this past decade And some of you have been through similar situations as well, and you know about pain, especially if you've gone through divorce. um, There's insane layers of stuff to sort through. 
And whatever your pain is, eventually, especially if it's a relational loss like that, uh, if you're like me, eventually, eventually, the anger, the blaming, the rage needs to subside so that this pain, if we will let it, this pain can actually help us to face things that we might never have faced before. And so for you, whatever pain maybe you're facing, for you, for me, uh, for both of us, whatever the pain is, I think we have two choices in how we handle this. Uh, I see it as kind of this illustration of two roads. These are two different ways in my life that I've uh, approached pain. Um, two roads, actually. Uh, road, one road I'll tell you about. I'm, I'm really good at this one. Um, I've chosen this road, which we will call avoidance, right? I'm very good. I'm very practiced at avoidance. It looks like this. Avoidance looks like we mask the pain we distract ourselves by getting little momentary happiness fixes. Maybe we watch too much TV to help us escape, or we go shopping and try to spend money to distract ourselves. We will jump on the treadmill of, of work or even ministry to focus on achieving or serving, but we're doing it as a way to not think about our pain. I'm a recovering type AAA person, so I kind of, you know, look at that achiever piece. Um, on that avoidance road, we can get addicted to all kinds of activities and busyness, and we do it to try to numb the pain. That's one way, right? We'll call that avoidance. I'm good at that stuff. I'm a well-versed professional when it comes to that avoidance stuff. It's, it's there. It's an option. Or there's another way that we can choose. There's another road. It's much narrower. It's not well-traveled. Um, it's the road where we courageously face the pain in our life. We face it. We acknowledge, I do feel pain. I ultimately know it's about, you know, whatever, my sin, or it's about this inner emptiness inside of me. Maybe we'll say, you know, it's about these wounds that I, have, I haven't been willing to address or face. Those are our choices, right? We're going to avoid it, or we can face it. And in the story of the prodigal son, this young man, he comes to the most severe pain that he ever has faced, and it says he comes to his senses. He faces up to the truth. He can't avoid it anymore. And frankly, I don't think he would have done it without the pain. So he comes to his senses, according to Jesus Jesus says that the young man says, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. So he decides he's going to go home, composes a little speech. You know, you kind of do that when you're nervous, right? You think ahead of time about what you're going to say. And so here's what he does. He says, okay, here's my speech, uh, verse 18. Um, <clears throat> I will get up. I will go to my father. And then here's the speech. I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven. And before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son, time out, that's really good, actually. That's repentance. That's important to do, right? Then he adds this on there. <clears throat> Treat me like one of your hired hands. We'll come back to that, okay? See, he's in pain. He does decide he's going to go back. But check this out. He can't envision going home and being fully at home with his father. He doesn't even think it's possible. So he's going to go home on the hired servant plan. Hired servant plan. Now, as a hired servant, it would be different than being a son. He might be able to kind of redeem himself, partially pay his father back, maybe a little bit. That'd be good, but here's the problem. As a hired servant, he would not know the intimacy 
of a son with a father, right? He'd be an employee, not a family member. And I wonder for how many of us here in the room today, if we were totally honest, we would say, I get that, I understand. I understand what it is to be a hired servant. You know, I I try to do things for God, so I get the hired servant thing, but some of us, if we were honest, might say, I don't really know what it is like to simply live as a beloved son or beloved daughter. I I don't know God like that. I don't know God as a true father. Maybe you'd say, I've heard those words before. To be honest, though, I get the hired servant thing, but I don't know him like that. And if that's you this morning, I want you to place yourself in the shoes of this son as we travel through the rest of this story. Just just picture yourself, insert yourself into the story, and let's travel. Let's travel with the son to the embrace of his father. So picture it again. This desperate, starving kid has to make this long journey back to the village. There's no camel to ride anymore, right? He's walking from a distant country, remember, right? He's utterly crushed by his defeat. He knows what to expect to. He probably thinks all the way home. He's thinking about what's going to happen when he gets there. He thinks about that moment uh, every step of the way. He knows he's going to face open hostility and humiliation, and he knows it's going to be bad. And he's not just going to face it from his father and his father's household, but from the entire village. And I kind of imagine this, this, this son reaching the outskirts of the village. And I bet you know, there were kids playing or something, but somehow words started to spread like wildfire because they all would have known the story. And somebody was like, hey, 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 look at that. He's back. <laughs> the prodigal son is back. He's so scrawny. You can hardly recognize him. And no surprise, he's lost everything that belonged to his father. Now, there's something else that we need to know about, about this. What that meant uh, was very specific in their culture. Uh, to just, it was a big deal. It meant that lands that had belonged to his father ended up going to the Gentiles. And land was such a precious thing to the Israelites, they actually had a ceremony. If you lost property or a great deal of money, if you lost land to the Gentiles, there was a ceremony in which you would be cut off from the village and the community. That's what they did. It was a big deal. The son would have known everything Um, that was going to happen, including that. And Jesus' listeners to the story, they knew about this too. The kid knew this would happen. The father, though, especially, knows what would happen to his son. He knows, the father knows that if his son comes back, as soon as he walks into that village on his way home, he'll be mocked and taunted and maybe even physically abused by this village that he is insulted with his behavior. And I have this mental picture of how this might have played out and looked if we just slow down the scene that that we read through the verses really quick. I picture the son just trudging up this dirt road. He's exhausted. He's anxious. He's tired. He's wondering what is going to happen. And I picture all the people just gathering for this climactic moment in the story. And then Jesus says, While he was still far off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. And then, friends, 
one of the most wonderful phrases in all of scripture. Jesus says this about the father, about your father, and he ran. He ran. Again, remember the culture, right? A Mideast nobleman in flowing robes, he never ran. It was a violation of dignity in those days. Aristotle was a Greek philosopher from that same era, and he wrote this. Great men, great men never run. Great men are run too. So there you go. I, there you go. I guess great men walk slowly like, uh, you know, John Wayne or maybe Pastor Dwayne, right? Will Devon, Bruce Heimkees. You guys, that's, we just, great men, they just walk slow. That's how we roll. Um, he, CEOs, kings, uh, popes, you never see people like that running, right? People, yeah, it makes sense. People run to them. So I guess, at least in the mindset there, running is done by children, by those who are desperate or needy or too eager or afraid. But do you see? Jesus is saying, this is the father heart of God. (laughs) The father's heart is so full, he forgets everything. He forgets his dignity. He forgets his robes. He forgets everybody that's watching, and he only sees this starving, aching, exhausted figure of his son that he had given up for dead. Only now, the son's coming back home, and the father just takes off running. And again, I just picture this play out, and I don't think right away there were words. Not not at first. I think the father probably at first didn't say anything at all. I can imagine as a dad, like if this happened to me, like as a father, you just see this face of your little boy, right? And in his case, this little boy's face now was an adult and he was so stained by sin and fatigue and defeat that it's hardly recognizable, but he remembers this is his boy. This is his son that he fed and clothed and watched over. And then he left and thought he'd never see him again. But here he is again. His son is home in front of him. And it's, it's so emaciated. The boy is just gaunt and pale. And he just wraps his arms around the body of his son that he thought was lost to him. And he can't let go. Verse 20 says, he kissed his son and, and he kisses his son. Again, picture this. And, and the word that Jesus uses here, it can be translated that he kisses him over and over and over. He can't help himself. He can't stop. So for who knows how long, at first there were probably only kisses and tears and embraces that say what words could never say. Again, friends, and this is a picture of the father heart of God for you. Whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, it does not matter. That's our Father, heart of God towards you. It's his yes towards you. See, God doesn't want you to live as his hired servant. He he wants you as his beloved daughter, as his beloved son. And if You'll just let him. He longs to run to you, throw his arms around you to kiss you and never let you go. That's the father heart of God that Jesus came to proclaim. Finally, the son speaks. And I want, 
I love this. Look real closely at what the son says now and how it's a little different than his first draft of the speech that we heard earlier. Ready? Verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Period. See how it's different? When the son actually speaks, there's no mention at all about, you know, the hired servant plan. You know, hey, dad, I want to be your hired servant, right? Now, some people think that what happens is the father cuts him off. The text doesn't say. And it could be that. Maybe the dad just starts talking quick and he doesn't get to spit that part out. But I think maybe something else is going on. My guess is that the son experiences this from his father and it just shatters his expectations. He's, his heart is just um, exploded in love by this expression of love that he did not expect from his father. Like, remember, he was walking a long ways from a distant country, and I bet every step of the way he was imagining what's going to happen when I get there. And he sketches out every scenario. Maybe this will happen. Maybe this will happen. Well, maybe this will happen. And he's trying to prepare himself, and I think he sketched out every imaginable scenario except for one. I think he prepared himself for the possibility of stern punishment, of ridicule, Um, maybe he prepared himself. You know what? I'm sure he prepared himself. You know what? The father might banish me, send me away, and then I deserve it if that's what happens. He thought through every scenario except for one. See, I bet he never imagined that this is what would happen. I bet he never imagined the possibility that his father would be the one to run to him. And I think in that moment, the lights go on, And maybe the son sees the heart of his father for the very first time. Like, oh, oh, wow, now I get it. I'm I'm actually loved. I bet that until that moment, he wasn't sure what was in his father's heart toward him. But now he realizes money's never the issue. This isn't about compliance. It's not about earning anything. This is about a relationship between a father and a son that that he nearly destroyed. This was about the heart of a father that he had nearly broken. That's what it was about. And it's the same, friends, for you and for me. The son in that moment, I think, realizes he can't earn his way back. It's not his job to dictate the terms or devise some plan to think he's going to pay everything back to his father. Like, that would have been an insult. His homecoming, our homecoming, if it were to happen at all, would have to be a sheer gift, received as a gift, just like grace. It's the same for us, friends. We can't earn our way. It's just the grace of God. And I'll bet with the father's arms wrapped around him, in that moment, the son realizes he doesn't want to be anywhere else. He doesn't even want to be at the distance of a hired servant. Like, he wants to be embraced by his father, and he gives up his last little plan to save himself and gives up the last of his pride, and he surrenders completely to the overwhelming love of the father. And to wrap up the story, at least this part, the father wants the whole village, hey, 
you don't be coming after my son. He wants him to know the son is fully restored. That's why he has the servants dress the boy in his finest robe, the way they would dress a king. He puts a ring on his finger. That's a sign of his authority in the household. He puts shoes on his feet. That's the mark of a free man, not a slave, and he wants everyone to know. And then the father says, let's start the party. See, that's the father heart of God, for you, for me, for all humankind, whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, it does not matter. However bad it seems to you, if you let him, the Father longs more than anything to run to you right now and embrace you. Worship team, will you come? I believe the call of the Father, the true Father, to all of us today is this. Come home. Come home. Come home to the Father. So my question for all of us this morning is this. How is it that you need to come home to the Father today? And I want to invite you in these next few moments as we do the closing song, and then I bless us before we go, but in these moments... Um, say to God whatever it is that you need to say to him. Maybe in your life you've already taken some steps away from the Father. Um, Maybe there's a pattern of sin going on in your life or some struggles. And right now, friends, is a great time to confess it and turn so that you don't go to these slippery places any further, put an end to it. That's what coming home could look like. For others of us, maybe coming home Um, Looks like facing the enormous guilt, the tremendous hurt from what you have done to someone else. And Jesus invites you and me to come home, come home to the Father today. Maybe you are here this morning and you're in great pain from something done to you. Wasn't your fault. But you find yourself so angry, understandably angry, bitter. You too can come home to the heart of the Father. I believe it's very common in church for many of us. In fact, I land in this hired servant place way too often. Maybe you have been living like a hired servant, right? And you hear about this Father and his embrace and you long to know, you long to know God like that. This is the time for you to tell him that. This morning can be your time to come home in that way. Or maybe you need to give your life to Christ for the first time. Jesus invites you to the embrace of the Father. You can come as you are. You can come home. And for all of us, this moment even right now can just be a moment to fall into the embrace of the Father know that you are loved and to receive his goodness. Maybe that's the way every one of us could come home this morning. Let's sing together.